Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Please welcome Ang Lee and James Seamus. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I just appreciate your being here because I know you just got into town yesterday um, and you've been really yeah, I'm finishing up. I'm still in the process of de-hulking. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me so, if I don't make any sense. Or I was so, what, I mean, what was the production like? It looks, uh, it's not a small independent uh, film, is it? It's big. <laughs> what was it like physically and, and um, you know, and what was it like working on a film that involved a lot of special effects? It's definitely uh, something I never experienced before, mm -hmm. and probably nobody experienced before. Because mm -hmm. I was trying to bring small movie to a big town, big kind of filmmaking. So in one way, I have to learn a lot about how big movies are made. Right. And in the same time, James, me, uh, Tim, Squires, all are e my editors. Yeah. Uh, the usual suspects still go to the West. <laughs> and trying to exert our powers. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about what your approach was to this material. Because I remember when it was first announced after the success of Crouching Tiger that you were going to do the Hulk. It was a little bit of a surprise, to say the least. He told me to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wrote the script. <laughs> no, you don't do whatever he Well, says, it's time right? to do a big movie in our own terms. Yeah. So that's the thing. Uh, do personal movie with, with the, the biceps, so to speak, I never use. Uh, so there, there are things offered to me, this and that, and try to do big budget film, but something with, uh, as Hollywood put it, with big heart. I, I don't want to call it that way, but uh, personal. <laughs> uh, and James smelled this project uh, from Universal, uh, who we had a relationship in okay. Red with the Devil. So he, he pitched me, he said, the Hulk, uh, yeah. what do you think about the Hulk? I said, I, I know it's uh, from TV series, I never read the comic book. And then he said he jumps very high. He weighed anywhere from 2,000, 2,050 pounds. And he's green. And it started to click <laughs> okay. to me. He says, look, uh, it's a franchise movie. You don't have to use a big movie star. Then I click some more. Okay. So it didn't take a very long time uh, for us to jump in. Uh, to me, it's the new uh, hidden dragon. I don't know what uh, James make of it, but he uh, sort of pitch me the ideas and, and then we start work on the movie that summer uh, it's, it's a very long process, the production is pretty overwhelming, it's a good exercise of uh, yeah. how to make movies uh, so it's, it's all great except uh, it didn't big movie didn't supposed to have certain elements I try to insert that it's hard for us to write about it to, to ex execute it and then three months ago the, the reality started to inch in hmm pressure started to come in and, and mm -hmm. it's tremendous pressure so it's an ultimate test to your nerve yeah. when you hulk out and, and all that <laughs> so, so that's all, all new. You seem to have done this in the past I mean you jumped into Sense and Sensibility which was a, you know, a big period film and people said you know, how, how can Ang Lee use maybe some, you know, smaller films do Jane Austen adaptation but you seem to have enjoyed taking on these challenges I, I like them. I'm, for, I'm a forever film student. Yeah. I like to see my career as uh, endless learning how each genre or mixed genre was made. Yeah. That gives me a lot of, uh, uh, gives me the thrill. Yeah. 
Uh, and James always worked with me. He's uh, the professor, the film professor. So we kind of like to explore and see what kind of, it's not really stories or character that interests us, at least to me. It's always what kind of ingredients of cinema that we, yeah. we try to get. And personally, coming from Taiwan, I hate to be categorized. Right. If you made a wedding bank, all the ethnic, they all expect you to do one thing or, or yeah. another, and, and I'm desperately trying to jump out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each time I, I was doing that leap, uh, I'm stretching myself. Uh, so I still want to be who I am, but not who I am at the same time. <laughs> yeah, James can give you a better rundown on that. But what, what was your idea about why the Hulk would be a good Ang Lee project? But what, and, and what was your approach then to writing the screenplay? Well, well, one of the things that, you know, pitching in on the Hulk that I was most excited about was precisely that part of the film that I could have very little to do with. That was the creation of what you got a tiny taste of in these clips, right. but not a lot. Uh, but the movie, it's huge, yeah. it is, this, is this new cinematic language where you're taking your inspiration from the comic book panel, mm-hmm. the page that's so broken up and slashed and these forced perspectives and this incredible energy around the frame and this ability to tell stories in huge bits and chunks and pieces and fragments that collide with each other. You guys are literally the first human beings to actually <laughs> see even frames from this movie. Uh, but we did screen the film last week for the first time, both for the studio and the initial press. You know, there's 125 transitions in this film that are all done like, like turning the page of a comic book or going from panel to panel. And people didn't even notice that it was so rich in that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so seamless. And, and yeah. so, so part of writing of the script... Uh, on this film, but for all of Aang's movies that I've worked on the screenplays on, it's it's the same thing where I do other studio writing jobs. I try to write the best possible screenplay I possibly can so that no director could screw it up. I mean, that's the goal. <laughs> and for Aang, I try to write, basically, I, I try to put him in as much peril as possible. You know, I just ba- basically close the, the grate, shut the iron doors, turn on the tap, get the gas going, and then see if he can get out, you know. Um, get him to the ledge, kick him over, and, um, and then see if he flies or drops or whatever. So it's really creating <laughs> these um, problems that I can't solve, but I know that he can. And if he doesn't, then they won't hire us again. But you know, <laughs> it's very funny for me to hear, uh, you know, stepping up to big movies like Sense and Sensibility after two years in the hall. It's like, right, right. Sense and Sensibility looks like a walk in the park. With <laughs> <laughs> Crouching Tiger, you just write in the script, you know, they have the most incredible fight scene you've ever seen. Yeah, the, on, on the, uh, the typical uh, James Seamus genius screenwriting on the Crouching <laughs> Tiger, I said, uh, the first paragraph was, this, this film will have the greatest martial arts action sequences in cinema history. And then when you get to the first one, I use two words that, that I use for every fight scene in the script, which is, they fight. <laughs> <laughs> so this tells us a little bit about the director's job in the process. I like that, that kind of writing. Never, I never treat him like a writer as he deserves. To me, he's the, the, the creative partner. Your original background was in theater, and sort of the idea of the theater director almost is more that, that you're going to take a text that's already written, you know, great play, and, and have fun interpreting it. You know, and you've said that you're not so interested in it yourself in doing the, the initial writing as the interpreting. Well, I think cinema, I think it's proper to say that here in the Museum of Cinema, uh, a cinema is a looker, I think, sight and sound. Fundamentally, it's different from theater. And coming from that theatrical background is, is my strength. So yeah. I'm not as scared at, as the actors or words as much as some of yeah. the directors, even if it's 
sometimes my foreign language. Uh, so that was my strength and how I staged them and decide how to photograph them. But uh, movies, sight and sound, there are many ways and means of visualize and, and go about it. I've been doing that experiment in in ex extent in which that uh, I pick up comics book to, to break away from that theatrical, but not quite successfully. Because after all, we're watching the most identifying um, uh, images we have is our own faces. Mm -hmm. uh, that speaks to you. If you have to watch for two hours, that's what you keep, keep you going after ten minutes. And no matter how slick you can get, yeah. uh, it's the it's a human relationship, human emotion, and progressing uh, the the suspense that keep you going for that long and feel satisfied at the end. So I guess I can never get rid of that theatrical part. I've been trying from first movie to this as far as I can. Each time I can only go this far, then I have yeah. to fall back yeah. to human feeling, which theatrically, especially uh, Western theater, the dramatic content and conflict is still something strongest. I've still been using high drama, yeah. but each time I try to get away and away uh, to this, I, I almost shoot the film. I force myself to turn to visualize director, like the Hulk. Movie is already cut. The Hulk is not there. It ends up I have to do the Hulk because nobody knows the <laughs> continuity. A humanized creature was never done before right. by CGI. To whatever it takes, but still at the end of the day, I think I'm still a, a theatrical person. Yeah. I just have to sort of flash back. The beginning of your working together was really started in a way with, with a student film that you did. I mean, with you seeing a student film. So um, I'm just going to... If you pardon the flashback, but to go back to the NYU days, you were, I believe, in the same class or there at the same time as Spike Lee? Uh, no, he was uh, a year ahead of me. I worked okay. on his film. He never worked on mine. Okay, you worked on... You <laughs> <laughs> so he owes you one. But he, you worked on Joe's Bedstein. Uh, he, he doesn't owe me because I okay. get to see how he make movies and all that. <laughs> That's how the schools uh, work out. We help each other. If uh, they're ahead of you in, in yeah. years, then you just be their slaves. And, <laughs> and the next year, you've got to enslave somebody else. Um, so that, that's how it works. Now, but my, my yeah. student film was the, probably the hottest of that year. Okay, but your film was called Fine Line. Yeah. Now, what, what Spike you know, made his film, then immediately made She's Gotta Have It, and was sort of off and running. But there was a period of about six years before you made your first feature. And if you maybe. Yeah, I look up at him as a good writer. Because uh, I worked on his film, he shot very quickly, yeah. and then pretty quickly got to make movies. And he was then ahead of everybody because he kept making movies. So right. something inspired me, a shy person like se myself, there's no way anybody give me material or I can get hired as a director unless I have my own material. You have to sit at home and writing. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't click uh, my English, my knowledge of uh, local culture, uh, what to write about, and just simply the skill as a, a writer is not enough. And I always write somebody, the leading man like myself, a man cannot make decision, a woman do it for him. So I'd never sell anywhere, and I'm the worst pitcher like, in the world <laughs> in second language. So I, I, I keep trying, I was keep trying that uh, thanks to Jan, she, uh, not so much as believing me, but just leave me alone and go about her lives. And that was the greatest support. Uh, until I, I hit the right person, right writer. Yeah. yeah, it's all kind of destiny. Some, somebody will take longer time than somebody, somebody else who just know it 
in the early stages. The right chemistry, right help, uh, that we can help each other. But uh, how did this happen? How did you come into uh, you come to see fine, you know, to fine line? I think Good Machine was looking for student directors at the time. A good Machine back then was two tables at a corner. I remember the office. I remember, I remember James's office, which was like the size of a closet. With, you know, you, it was barely a desk and and sure. I met him. I wanted to tell him the story. Well, <laughs> yeah, we tried Ted, Ted Hupp, my partner, when we found a good machine, and he was a big fan of Ang's film, which he admitted NYU six years prior. So we called up. He showed it to me, and I loved it. And he uh, also was Chaz Palminteri's first movie. Right, he was in Fine Lines. Um, right. He was in Fine Lines. And uh, so we called up his then agent, who said, "Oh, Ang Lee, you guys are these no-budget producers. And <laughs> Ang Lee has this development deal here, and he's making this movie with this movie star. And please, you know, go away." And um, so, okay, whatever. And we, you know, what were we going to do? Stake out his house. And so, two weeks <laughs> later, Ang came to the office through a mutual friend of Ted's. He had no idea that we had tried just tried to get in touch with him. And Ang had just won a screenplay prize in Taiwan. Central Motion Pictures there had just enough money to possibly make a movie. And he was still worried, I think, pretty well into production as to whether we were actually going, this is Pushing Hands, his first feature, whether we were going to actually just take the money and run or, or in fact, make the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, over the years, I'm glad that they're not crooks, but uh, actually... Um, they, they pitched me, uh, both James and, and Ted pitched me something that was very uh, genuine to me. Yeah. I just went through six years of development hell, writing Goes Nowhere. Um, this period after your, or after your after student school, film, trying student to get films. something made. Yeah. And I feel hesitant to make the first movie because the money is so small. Yeah. And I wrote that for a script competition. I didn't mean to make it. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I was desperately looking for a local... Yeah. Uh, no, low-budget filmmakers to help me with that, and I, I was introduced. I don't know who they are. Uh, I don't think anybody yeah. knows. Um, <laughs> so they're saying that your money is luxurious to us. We are the, the king of no-budget filmmaking here. It's just a, pay attention. It's not low-budget. No-budget filmmaking <laughs> in New York. We're, we're just the king, and uh, we want to teach uh, filmmakers how to make the movie they can afford. Uh, instead of uh, in development hell, it's wasting time. Your filmmaker, you should be making films. And they say we're director-centered filmmaker producers. Yeah. We just want to teach them and help them. What and, and they still do. Now this is the most expensive film Universal ever did, and they're still doing it. So step by step, we grow together. It's a very fruitful and healthy, l quite lucky relationship. Uh, I, I think it happens to many filmmakers. Like Hitchcock has to have yeah. like Bernard Herrmann and this and that. It feels to me like it meant to happen. Yeah. Like audience uh, ought to see this movie. And therefore the filmmaker is, uh, was stringed together by fate or something. The yeah. chemistry just clicks and, and then it happens. Hmm. Could you say what it was that you saw early on, James? You know, just in terms of um, what qualities stood out in the early films? Well, we, well I, I remember meeting Ang and... In the film business, and, and now even in the film schools, they teach students how to pitch their yeah. projects, uh, which is hilarious because, I mean, <laughs> it, it just turns otherwise maybe sane people into complete idiots. I mean, they look like, like, a, I mean, like a car salesman on acid. And then she comes in the room, you know, and, then, and they always, the worst moment of a pitch meeting, by the way, if you're in the business, uh, please never do this. Never in the middle of your pitch stand up <laughs> and act it out. They go, and then, you know, and then, you know, you know and um, <laughs> Ang came into our office, and uh, he was right. He's the worst pitcher in the business, and <laughs> sat down and just 
talked for about 45 minutes. When he left the office, I remember turning to Ted, and I said, well, that was long. Um, <laughs> but, but I said, you know, the, the weird thing is that this guy, I know he's a filmmaker because he didn't pitch a movie. He described the movie he'd already made in his head. Hmm. It was a description of a film as a filmmaker would describe it, not as a salesman would sell it. It was a completely different experience. And uh, that and the fact that he actually had the cash to make the movie, so what do we care, um, <laughs> uh, kind of brought us into the, uh, into the fold. No, it was, a very, it was a really different thing. I mean, it was, it was, uh, you, you could tell immediately. And at that time, I mean, you were living in Westchester, basically a house husband. Like you had two young children. Yeah, back yeah. then just one. Uh, one. Han, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to do with life. It's just, <laughs> I didn't have any money, so I didn't go to the city. It was yeah. try to think of ideas. Each time I thought something exciting, I call an agent. There must be like five of such ideas being written, and two of them is in production. So everybody's thinking ideas. It's very hard, and I go through the uh, the ordeal of pitching. <laughs> like, if I were the money people, I would never give money to somebody like me. <laughs> uh, and then maybe half a year to come up with the idea, then write for months, then pitch, and there'll be a few people uh, who'll be interested in it, and would be right. None of them getting paid, and and then it gradually will die down. And then the next one will come up. So like year, you know, this year goes goes by and kids keep growing up, yeah. regardlessly. And then by the second, when Mason was born, I was just getting the money. Uh, like right before, really the bottom of my life. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be hopeless and have no strength, no nothing, no hope. Yeah. Yeah. Pushing Hands wasn't a, like an enormous commercial success, but the next film. I mean, Wedding Banquet really was a very big hit for... Uh, uh, Pushing Hands is a big hit was it in Taiwan. In Taiwan, Taiwan. Okay. okay. Nowhere else. It did, what was the theatrical... <laughs> <laughs> well, that counts, um, is it? Well, I, I was uh, very protective of the material. James held me on the English, then I didn't take his advice for some other hmm. changes on the script. Mm -hmm. Then it took uh, 24 days to shoot. Ted was the AD and producer, assistant director. Yeah. So quickly got made. Yeah. Uh, and it really hit the core of uh, Chinese filial piety themes that really right. touched the heart and people went crazy in Taiwan and yeah. horrible to see. Uh, it, up to this day, it still remain in Asia. Uh, uh, it's kind of annoying to me. They keep saying that was the best movie I made. Like, oh. <laughs> best movie of every director. That's like your innocence, your virginity or something. Uh, Before you know what's what. It's my mom's <laughs> favorite film of yours, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, from the second movie on, uh, James <laughs> said, no, uh, we're, no, we made the Chinese movie, didn't go anywhere, uh, we're going to give one more try, uh, if I can help you on the script. So I got a script translated, as a gay comedy uh, happened in the Chinese, uh, live here in American, uh, with uh, a gay American lovers. Right. So a lot of my concept of gay or lifestyle or whatever was like 15 years out of date. <laughs> so James came in and do the uh, the rewrite, and that that's the first time I taste a hit, not only a hit in Taiwan but international hit. So that we really started things to take off, and I started believing him. Yeah, so we started our really uh, script writing and. Uh, working in process, collaborating, like really from that one on. Yeah. 
And then Etrick Man Woman, which was uh, very much in the feeling of some of the films that were being made in, in, uh, in Ty Taiwanese cinema was very strong at the time, and movies um, by Ed Yang. What, what was your approach in terms of, of making that film? What were you trying to do? Um, I, I went through a very unique path, but nobody else liked me. Uh, yeah. I, I, I meant to make uh, Taiwanese mainstream movies for the studio there. By virtue of the success of a uh, uh, foreign language film elsewhere in the West, uh, their art house. Inevitably, uh, Eating Man Woman was under that pressure, and to, to us, it's actu actually a pleasure. That's who we are. Uh, so we, we work together in this kind of a new mainstream movie for Taiwan, and somehow it worked probably even better uh, outside of Taiwan. Again, James work on um, the screenplay, but um, the, the story is, is Taiwanese story. Yeah. Um, unlike the Chinese live with Americans in New York, so it's a different adventures. Uh, he read as much Chinese uh, philosophy, uh, novels, what have you, as possible, and to try to be Chinese, like when I try to be American, <laughs> and they just didn't click for me. Then he got so frustrated. I, did, I, changed, <laughs> I changed all the names in the script of Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, too, because I was, I was really trying to learn about Chinese culture and food and had all this, you know, doing the research. And it was always, you know, this is, uh, this is not, the Chinese person would never say this, you know, this kind of thing. And so I changed all, in the computer all the names globally to Jewish names. You know, Sarah, <laughs> so Jia Chen was Sarah, Jia Ning was someone else. And then I changed them all back. I wrote it just totally Jewish. I said, forget it. I'm just writing a Jewish you know, thing. And um, <laughs> changed them all back. And it was true. I, mean, I swear to God, this is actually not a made-up story. He came over. He read the script. And it was like, it was like watching somebody tasting the food on the, on the stove. He goes, oh, this is pretty Chinese. <laughs> and um, it was the weirdest thing. And if you see the movie. Of course, you could keep it Chinese food that way. Yeah. Still. If you see the movie, <laughs> you'll notice that uh, I think it's Janine's best friend at the fast food joint, she turns to her and, she, of course, to me, speaking Mandarin, it is, I, I, I know how to order a beer, that's about it. But I hear this stream of Mandarin, and also, and then in the middle of the Mandarin scene, she goes, Rachel, da -da -da -da. and I was like, oh, I forgot to change that name. She's called Rachel, you know. And then I realized it was actually somebody had used that name in the original draft. So I thought I had come up with Rachel, but somebody else had come up with it. It was yeah, one of the other uh, writers. So yeah. it was crazy, mixed up kind of thing. As the movie prevailed, as so often, uh, people <laughs> come out and say, oh, it's just like an Irish family, just like right. Italian families. Right. And I figure maybe uh, what the Jew is fighting on, on verbally that we're thinking at heart, we, we don't verbalize it, the Chinese. But something uh, unique and universal about the, the, the process that we're going through. I think when you try to understand another culture or you try to have the other culture understand yourself, uh, you have to go through the excitement of uh, exoticism, like something different. That's why they, they want to see it yeah. instead of watching a Hollywood movie, which is uh, universal all the way. Yeah. And then you need something uh, not only special but, uh, but uh, universal. And that you can only understand through logic, not uh, living through that culture. So by making him understand, other people understand, or, or try to make our chemistry work, I actually have to think about where I come from, why this and that. You've said that in Making Sense and Sensibility, you found connections between Jane Austen's world and Taiwanese society that you experienced growing up. Life in general, I think. Yeah. Uh, I was making family drama about uh, 
per, personal free will and the, the, the conflict between personal free will and social obligations. Jane Austen comes, nobody put it better. <laughs> it's all about sense and sensibility, yeah. the subcurrent of life itself. But I, I felt I knew her yeah. uh, right away, except I have to make an English and work in a language texture. That, that's the scary part. But at heart, I, I really I, 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 I felt I knew the movie yeah. to, to begin with. And uh, the, the ice storm, what amazed me, because I, I grew up in the suburbs at that time, and I think James grew up uh, you know, at sort of a similar time and, and saw this firsthand, but you captured it so perfectly. Um, you captured that, the feeling of American suburbia in the 70s. And I, could you talk a bit about how you achieved that? I mean, I've read about that you actually like, read some of the, these like, self-help books from the 70s and were watching sitcoms. But how, you, I worked you just with people the, like James. Yeah. There's a whole group of them. Uh, in a funny way, there were uh, the children's age in right. 1973, right. like in yeah, the intro. Like so a lot of the things they, they did, I, I didn't do it. Like the, the whip and a lot of things, like gem, blow up toys. James did it. I, didn't, I never did anything like that. <laughs> Thanks, my kids are hearing. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody pours in. And then they are at the parents' age and living through their midlife crisis <laughs> in America in a very different atmosphere. Yeah. So that's, that's what uh, uh, makes it genuine, and I just pay a lot of attention to smell if something clicks when I make a movie with them, because they all talk to me. Uh, the materials all varies, I have to make, choose, and take. I think doing uh, a foreign culture, uh, yeah. to me, uh, uh, New England, Connecticut is uh, it's exotic to me, uh, but, yeah. it's, uh, uh, but that's from my, my perspective. Uh, I was a lot sharper than they are to see what's behind it, because yeah. I was not attached to the uh, living ex experiences. Yeah. Uh, on the reverse, James is a lot sharper seeing what's, what I had in Chinese. It's, oh, it's about this and that. And after like uh, seven months, they realized, yeah, he's right. I think it, it, it can be more accurate but that could be cold too, yeah. <laughs> or or it's just pure fantasy about another culture. But in terms of texture, I have to I have to learn from those guys, and I have to go through diligent studies and mm -hmm. and take it in. Uh, but I, I think af after all, I, I'm a professional filmmaker. Uh, I can take something in and make it work. Uh, that's that's what I'm good for. But yeah. I, I didn't make those movies by myself, and overnight. Yeah. You brought the Rick Moody novel. Um, I believe it was your idea, James, to... Well, my, my wife had suggested that I read it, and I read it, and I gave it to Ang, and I said, this is just a great book by a friend, of, you know, a, a colleague and friend of Nancy's. Just read it. I, there's no way you're going to want to make a movie out of this, but you got some free time. And he came back a few days <laughs> later and said, I read it. Let's make a movie out of it. Wow. <laughs> you can't make a movie out of that book. <laughs> the benefit is that we, we got it really cheap, right? Uh, oh, got the nobody, yeah, to nobody wants to make one of those yeah. rights, but that, because you had the freedom then. Uh, at least the option was cheap, and then I think it was. Very, and then was we met Rick Moody, the writer. Right. I told him it's not your book anymore; it's it's, it's my movie. So that was the end of the. <laughs> <laughs> well, he uh, he had a friend who was a mutual friend of yours who had given him the story. He said once they optioned the book, you just you stand on one side of the brick wall. And what happens is you throw your book over the wall, and a year later they throw the movie back over the wall. So there's a don't yeah. get involved. But yeah. you know, I was so r racked because the the book has almost no dialogue, no recorded dialogue, uh, and takes place just in 24 hours. It really, uh, you know, sticks to the unities, you know, the kind of Aristotelian mm -hmm. unities. 
And so I had to kind of create this whole world off of the seed that was the book. And I got very nervous right before the movie. And I, I did give the script to Rick, who it turns out was very nervous too. And luckily he... It was, was found very positive. It was just I mean, it was such a relief. Because I think we would have felt really bad karma. We're all, uh, we're all fans of his books. And yeah. That was but making movies something else. Yeah, that was close. <laughs> yeah. So he came on the first day of shooting, hmm. and he had almost a kind of out-of-body experience seeing all these people in the period costume and details. And we shot right in New Canaan where the book takes place and where he, part of his childhood had been. And Aang had insisted. I mean, we'd done a lot of location scouting in the Northeast Corridor, and at the end of the day, you really wanted to be where the book took place. Of course, the locals in New Canaan were not particularly pleased at the depiction of the local customs and mores. Um, and they were also just kind of, I mean, just, just a lot of, a lot of lo- lovely people, by the way. We love people. And, um, but there were, I mean, people were so outraged. I mean, the behavior, I mean, I mean by the time we left, everybody was, it was kind of a love fest. But, but the first couple of months there, the behavior was so insane. I mean, I cannot tell you how bad. And we had just come from this lovely experience in England, uh, right. making sense of sensibility, where people were just so nice. And uh, one day, Aang turned to me and said, James, why are these people acting so terribly? I mean, really the lowest of human behavior. Yeah. Um, they hate and me. Why do they said, hate why me? They, I said, Aang, the reason you live here is because you hate people like you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, oops. Oops. <laughs> yeah, there were days that James came visit us on the set. Yeah. 10 o'clock, we're all eating breakfast. We're sitting there. And he has to talk to the town people, yeah. uh, try to get us to, to start shooting. Uh, literally, I mean, <laughs> I, we were I mean, the, I mean, held up. I mean, the most Ill, illegal, just venal, money-grubbing. Literally, I pull up on set 7.30 in the morning, and I look at all the guys on the crew sitting around eating donuts, and I'm like, whoa, you know, did everybody become a Teamster for a day? What's going on here? You know? <laughs> and they're like, talk to that guy. You know, and the location manager going, well, the city pulled the permit. <laughs> and I had to go in there, and it was, you know, it was, it was a good time. It was a happy, happy, fun memories. <laughs> wow, you have these pent-up feelings about the Ice Storm production. I'm glad we got a chance to <laughs> work. They're, they're not pent up. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think you've said that the tone of your script was more sort of an outright comedy. I mean, it's a very deeply felt sort of dark And that film. made a tragedy out of it a is, comedy yeah. script. Uh, social satiric comedy, yeah. But, but after all, I assist them, we, we, you know, it, is, it is the the scene when the kid get electrocuted that uh, that like, I remember very clearly is on page two two hundred, mm-hmm. and uh, it just clicked to me. Uh, I must make a movie out of it because I see it. Um, so that's how it happened. I, I I have to deal with the the death of the the kid. And I remember uh, when the uh, the studio f- uh, finally greenlit it, or was thinking about the movie. Uh, that was after *Senses of were in good place. Uh, they would say, "Oh, the idea is great, but do we have to fry the kid?" <laughs> I was, that, that's, that's why we want to. Anyway, we were lucky we got to <laughs> make the movies, yeah. but still, uh, I have problem. Um, I, I think I shot it very funny, a lot more funnier than what it can take. But then the the ending was preposterous for mm. for the movie goers, mm. uh, so gradually we have to tune it down and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah uh, uh, quite an alteration from what we thought we we're doing. And also, I just got excited about the project, 
I didn't know what I was getting in until we got the money to do it. And I did research about yeah. 1973. Still, it's like a, a walk in a minefield. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, it's quite a nerve-wracking experience for me. There is a long tradition of, of directors from other countries coming and making great films about America, and I think this is in that tradition. I mean, Hitchcock, Billy Wilder, many, many. I mean, well, the, the, nobody makes movies like Americans do. That's just a life with, you know, like launching Space Shadow. Uh, if you're good at it, you have to come to America. Certain materials. Well, I can make a similar movie like The Ice Storm, um, uh, but how to make ice? How to to, so to make the way? You yeah. have available the technician, the technical talent here. But you it, bring it's a, a big industry, film industry. Yeah. It, it's yeah. healthy. It has so much talent. The support, the resource is incredible, yeah. and the distribution. Yeah. Uh, It's just a bigger, more healthy uh, entity at, for yeah. filmmakers for certain type of filmmaking. Uh, so, so for me, if I can get the the right help, right material, and make it my way, some movies has to be made here, and not uh, necessarily all great filmmakers or good filmmakers were born and raised here. You know. Uh, people come here. It's like yeah. MBA, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is where you exercise that that muscle. Well, Roman Polanski yeah. is another example. Who was, yeah. Some who was, doesn't yeah. make adjustment. Yeah. Uh, their personal thing is too strong, or they don't want to give up, or they don't want to make adjustment. Some just tune in right away, like like yeah. like myself. Yeah. yeah. Ride with the Devil, which is, um, an, I think, an underrated film, or a film that should have been in the theaters longer. Yes. Than it was, <laughs> um, which we're showing tomorrow. But could you talk about could you talk about that? Because that I think you that again was a novel that you found and and uh, adapted. Yeah. So actually, Nancy found uh, oh. another book. Nancy, or Nancy's okay. friend found. We want to make war movie. I want to make movie war movie after Sense Sensibility. Uh, Would make a guy film or something. Yeah, guy <laughs> film, and no women whipping anywhere. You, you described it as a dirty fingernail movie. Dirty fingernail. <laughs> <laughs> and we we'll, and we we'll try to find something that's uh, that can be shot uh, in America, not uh, England or somewhere else. Uh, that book came along. Uh, I'm still confused about why the film wasn't like. Uh, But confused uh, about why it didn't do better, or. or yeah, or uh, maybe the subject matter is hard to get people's attention, or something. Yeah, it was a really, it was a very particular time, and you know, it's funny because people always said after that experience, why would you go back to the same studio to make the Hulk? And of course, the people at the studio at the time were so supportive of Ride with the Devil. But from the moment we started making the movie to the time we delivered the film, we were on our fourth president of production at the studio. I mean, like, we didn't have anybody's phone number there. The studio had lost uh, like a half a billion dollars under old management and was in the process of being sold and resold. So that literally the only people who actually survived the experience with us were the people who actually then became the current troops there who were fantastic. And they loved the movie. They always wanted to. There was a day, I remember, Uh, it had nothing to do with Ride with the Devil, where I looked at the list, the EDI list of, of upcoming releases, and I noticed that the studio had literally pulled out every movie uh, for the first half of the year. Wow. They just said, we're not releasing movies for a while until we get yeah. some cash in. And I thought, oops, I think we're in some trouble here. Huh. Um, so they pulled it back together again. I mean, that's one of, the, one of the great Hollywood stories, of course, where some of the little victims of it, uh, of seeing that studio become, go from being this in, in, incredible just pit To becoming the number one studio two years later, yeah. um, in the meantime, well, uh, *Ride with the Devil* just got tossed aside. Yeah. I was making uh, when it was released. I was making *Crouching Tiger* in, in China when I knew what happened with the film. Uh. Uh, 
it was just uh, one of the awful feelings. Even with the ice storm, it was an initial like commercial hit. Eventually, people see it. Yeah. But this, I don't even get any response. I don't know what happened. So when I came back, James wrote me a 12-page letter, explained the ordeal he went through that he didn't want to tr- me, trouble me while I was making another movie in China. And I went to a bar with James, and, and we had some whiskey. I, wanna, I feel like I want to like, get drunk and try to learn from the experience. And James just started with, he said, look, you... I couldn't phrase the way he phrased it, but basically he says, look, uh, Wedding Bank was the most profitable film in 1993. Mm-hmm. This one, I, I don't, I, I dare <laughs> not say in film history, but 1999, it lost the most money. So you, you don't want to learn anything from the experience. <laughs> I will stop cold there. I don't know why he said that, but we kind of stopped there and I would start to moan about this and other stuff. <laughs> so that, that movie uh, remained a, a mystery to me. I, I love the movie. Yeah. Uh, well, I had diff- the, some I mean, of the greatest time making the movie. I mean, one of the great things about it is that all the authenticity. And re- I mean, clearly you did a lot of research, and, and um, it has a great feeling for what the period might have really been like. In, in making a movie on both sides, Chinese and, yeah. and American, I, I found uh, we're professional filmmakers. We, yeah. If you mean business, if you're serious yeah. enough, I think you can get the, uh, the detail right. Yeah. Pretty well, yeah. uh, and then the atmosphere of the particular uh, society or time is is much harder. And then, to me, the hardest one is when you release, you're facing theatrical tr- con- uh, conventions yeah. rather than historical. I got it from the books. I got very excited, yeah. but it's very different from the theatrical convention. How you see civil wars or westerns or American yeah. histories. And what been taught, and what been putting on I- image. Well, to, I mean, just starting with the when you, that you give you them the real thing, they yeah. say you're a foreigner, and okay. I am a foreigner. <laughs> That's why I care for the real things instead of self-image, the reflection of self. Yeah. And when I go back to, to China, we have the same uh, ordeal. And I found something interesting about uh, history and uh, images we created that taught us it's part of the culture, and that's very, very powerful. More powerful than reality. It becomes the truth. Uh, so that's the biggest enemy or friends uh, in, in the world of cinema yeah. and the filmmaker can make is you don't know what's real, but you're dealing with people after all. You know? I think the idea of guerrilla warfare and disorganized warfare that's not between these like great armies that come together for... You were clearly trying to do something different with this film. Then. Well, we, were, we were doing a lot of different things with it. We yeah. were kind of analyzing and bringing to the screen a side of uh, the ideology that we, you know, uh, that that we've been kind of shoveled, especially here in the north. You know, that was like uh, the north. Everybody in the north was really good, and uh, they all wanted to free the slaves. And everybody in the south was really bad. And uh, <laughs> they have. And when you get to Missouri, which was a slave state, but it was a union state. And you start looking at the way in which the politics worked out. Like, why was the Emancipation Proclamation actually three years after the war started? What was really thinking? And you start seeing kind of the shades of difference in meaning. It's tricky stuff, you know. It really is, and and it's a wonderful, fertile place. It's also the place for all the for the Western. I mean, there's a reason why Clint Eastwood's character usually comes from Missouri. All these Southern heroes are the Virginian which was the first major Western, you know, with Gary Cooper, but all by way. They're all Southerners who finally then become Westerners somehow. But weren't they Southerners? Or I guess they were. What, how does that work? So we kind of 
went into all this stuff. Uh, but it's a great film, and there's a reason yeah. why Bruce Springsteen just said it was like the favorite film he saw the last year. <laughs> um, and, it, and it certainly, I think, it's now in its own afterlife picking up. Yeah, if you could talk about working with actors, American actors, and you've worked with actors from so many different countries. First of all, uh, when I was a f student like yourself, what is the best method of acting? Or one a acting method can apply everywhere, you know. I think it's very important for, for you or anybody to know that there's no such a thing. Uh, it depends. There's no set rules or method. Uh, as a director, uh, it's like Tai Chi pushing hands. Whatever they comes along, and you have to take that and reverse and make, make use of them. That's director's job. And I found actors are doing the same thing. Uh, they're not just bringing me the English acting uh, American acting when I work with them they are bringing in something I need to make a Chinese vision or whatever uh, angry vision of the movie they work for me too then I have to tailor the movie for them it's a relationship it, eventually it has to find the audience they have certain viewing habits or their pick and takes sometimes they want something genuine something they, they want to be narcissist and draw into something uh, more exaggerated. It, it all depends. Depends on the genre, the vibe. There's no such a thing uh, as uh, American acting, English acting, Chinese acting. Uh, generally speaking, uh, the Chinese are more obedient. Direct, and they come in and say, what do you want? What do you want us to do? I say, I want you to do this and that. So facing most of them, I have to come up with ideas and show it to them. And they will try to mimic and try to make it work for me, and they're very obedient to the to the lenses. Totally give their image to to the filmmakers. The English actor by that time when I did Sense of Sensibility, they like to tell you they're mostly theatrically trained, very proud of it. But back then there was a lot of not a lot of big production there. So most of them do television. So they're used to this kind of size and they tell you they carry the scenes like this. If I put camera there they it gets very nervous, like what, what, or, or way back. They're like a Chinese. They know you're putting them in something to reflect their whatever you want to make. Uh, but the English were like, uh, they they get that. But people like Emma Thompson or Kate Winslet don't do that. Uh, so there's always an exception. But as a group, and for Americans, I work with you know Kevin Klein, John Allen, which is like a dream. Uh, to somebody else that has a movie star or general American way or like, you know, whatever. Uh, so all I, I have to make is use their strength and make it happen. So as a Chinese actor, uh, it's in a great disadvantage. I think acting here is harder than directing because we're behind cameras. If you have ideas, you can make it, things work. After all, it's about sight and sound. I could hardly speak English in full sentence when I direct Sense and Sensibility, yet I direct Jen Austin. Ang's uh, uh, English got a lot uh, worse uh, whenever uh, he didn't want to understand what people <laughs> were saying. <laughs> <laughs> I remember with the English actors, you know, talking, everybody was wanting to discuss what's my motivation, and you had just come off of E-Trink Man Woman. Mm -hmm. The first day of shooting, you, went, you came to me and said, you know, James, I used to be the emperor, and now I'm just the president. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can go on. I think actors in the Chinese actor here is harder because you have to, your image and your performance has to be put up from, be identified with, with the mass audience. It's just harder. But if you want to do it, uh, there's a way to do it and you have to struggle with it. 
and I hope there is more Chinese writers here because Chinese being here or Asian here is not really a market yet. It's like not like the the African American or Latin American. There, there's a definite market for it. Uh, we're a minority of a minority yet, so it, it's hard unless you create your own. So maybe you want to do what I did. I wasn't an actor, but I start acting and to earn my right of directing from Chinese and working with people like James, uh, who has more open-hearted in New York with a lot of energy, creative energy, and gradually work, work your way up. Um, and back in, um, in English language performances and productions. It's just harder, and you have to always expect to do twice as much and get half as much. I, I feel being lucky. Uh, I got uh, sponsorship from, from Taiwanese government and work with James and my American uh, peers from school. They, they didn't get any help, and I got more chance than American kids. So it's very hard to say. Uh, don't get frustrated and just keep trying. It, it is hard. Uh, you have my sympathy, but uh, <laughs> just keep trying. There, okay. There's no method. You just have to survive and, and make it work and try to impress. Did you think you can sort of take sort of an outsider perspective on the Hulk because you didn't grow up with uh, American comic books? Uh, to be honest uh, uh, with you, I don't want to sound pompous, but I, my take on Hulk has nothing to do with Chinese or <laughs> Chinese. Uh, it's because I'm a better filmmaker than some of the others. And the, the way I prove that I can pull this off is actually by a Chinese film, which I, I, I mix a pop genre in a Chinese way with... Uh, but Western psychology and drama, and, and it, it seems to work. And that got people uh, excited, and I earned the, the right to make this one in my own terms. I, I think um, the way people see the world, their vision is established when they grow up. And I, I grew up in Taiwan. I didn't come here, I come here until I was 23. So my way of looking thing is pretty fixed. But then in adapting that, make into a movie, I try to be as American as possible and as angry as possible, of course. I just give my best shot. And then neither me or my crew are thinking about... Um, in the past, they gave me excuses in language, like I give very brutal directions. Uh, well, James can tell you a lot of brutal story. <laughs> uh, try not to look so old. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, things like that. They love him. You know, I see this, I would literally, I'd be dead. He says it, they're like... <laughs> <laughs> I could get away with that. That's, that's the... Um... But after all, I, I think uh, right now people don't even give me the leeway. Or I, I say something, but it means something else in language. If they're not happy with the words they're saying, they, they come right back to me as if they don't have to care my feeling as a Chinese because I kind of passed through that stage. They treat me equally. Um, so it's, it's really about making the scene work. I have some ideas. I got excited. I try to make myself clear. Uh, and I got people excited, and we try to make the scene work. So in terms of take on the hoax, because I did a Chinese martial art film, I got to be an expert of mixing these two uh, elements together. And it just happened that the, the hippest thing in Hollywood right now is the Chinese action camera works. So I kind of become an expert too. That, that's an advantage. So you never know what's, you know, one day it's an advantage, one day it's the other, uh, it's this advantage. But I found 
doing foreign, uh, Americans foreign to me, I, I'm sharper uh, definitely in pick on certain things that people usually live through that they don't think about it. Uh, and vice versa, people are sharper than I am when I'm doing Chinese. Uh, uh, that's interesting place when you have outside inside look. I think bilingual and mixed culture, it is a, a big advantage to me. Uh, I don't think it should be restricted in territory or certain film style. I, I think uh, it will happen more. It's already happening. It's only going to go more and more in that direction. Uh, I thought that The Ice Storm was the best movie of 1997, and I remember thinking at the Thank time... Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, the studio didn't really seem to promote it uh, the way that they promoted films like Titanic or L.A. Confidential. Do you think that if they had promoted The Ice Storm more... It might have been remembered like it asked for time. Or well, I, I won't go into details. You know, filmmakers love to blame the distributor. Um, and now that I'm a distributor, I love to blame the film. No, I don't know what it is. Um, but it's hard. They had a very specific release strategy, which I won't get in this, into the specifics of, which definitely didn't work for the, the campaign, the, uh, the, the kudos campaign, as Variety calls it. Uh, but it was also, you have to remember, this was a completely bizarre movie. Um, and before the film went to Cannes, uh, it had the smell of death written all over it. Um, it was only after the Cannes reception that we were able to f figure out with the critical response, which was so strong, that there was something to market. But it was a very difficult film to market, actually. Um, I don't know any anything else except I want to make movies. It was a hidden desire uh, growing up in Taiwan because it was regarded very low. Uh, it, it could be better now, but the way I grew up, uh, it ranked very low in the social. It's almost like a disgrace being an entertainment. <laughs> yeah, so I was never really found myself. I was very repressed. Uh, I was a very docile child. I was never rebellious. My father was the principal of my high school, so I was. <laughs> and that was like one of the best some, high school in Taiwan. Got some deep issues here. <laughs> <laughs> and I flunk in the college examination. That, that's why I got to unfortunately back then fall onto uh, the art of uh, Academy of Art in theater department but once I got it I just know that's what I can do uh, so I never really want to do anything else except uh, making movies or stage some staging so that's my passion my whole being is function and build for that uh, I just don't find any meaning anything else I was clumsy and everything else I don't know how life functions but I can direct a big picture or a small picture, <laughs> and people listen to me. And I noticed that first year in at NYU Film School, I, I didn't speak English. But after a while, I found people listen to me. And sometimes we're helping each other out, and somebody else is directing. And it ends up people listen to me. I was like doing the lighting or recording sound. So there must be talent or something. It meant to be tested in a very long time. Uh, my wife used to say that uh, if I'm not making a movie, I'm like a dead man. She said, I don't need a dead husband. So she just <laughs> gave up on me for a long time. But we're all ex excited when I start making a movie and everything turns to life. There's a lot of positive uh, reinforcement in making movies. Uh, people ask me, you know, what can I encourage or give advice to young filmmakers? I always say they don't need it. Uh, those who I see my peers still making movies are the ones uh, who cannot be discouraged. If I want to give them advice, they usually like lukewarm, like, you know, they try to be polite. They end up not listening to me. 
those are the real filmmakers. Well, like myself, I didn't really want to listen to anyone. If anybody asks me encouragement or advice, uh, to me, they're probably not really filmmakers in the first place, if they have any doubts. Uh, though, you know, when you're desperate, that's the only thing you want to do. It's not like you have a choice. Like myself, then you keep on doing it. it it's hurting a lot. It, it takes a lot from you physically and spiritually and everybody around you. But that's just something you love. Uh, you have to feel it. it um, no, it's not, no re explanation to you. Actually, I gave Ang the advice that actually made him a director, but I've, I'm, I've told him I wouldn't tell anybody else. Um, no. Uh, there is no, that is the same thing with people making movies. Uh, the question that you asked me, why do I continue to work with Aang and have uh, faith in him together and trust him? I mean, the, the, it's, it's simple. He continues to offer me jobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Okay, well, the question about Crashing Tiger and the, the, the way that it just mixes, you know, blends strong ideas and strong feelings. We that's a taste what, of that that's what we wanted to do, and yeah. we achieved to, to a certain extent. That's your desire, and, and you get some of it. Not always all of it, of course. After all, we live in the, in the, in the world with uh, gravity. Uh, somehow you have to negotiate and come down a little bit. The idea's here, reality is here, you try to make somewhere there. But that, that's our intention. Uh, sometimes people didn't have the intention. Uh, and sometimes people had the intention, didn't succeed as, as much. Sometimes they succeed more than you have. Uh, no, it's just our dream. We don't think about it. That's just the kind of... I, I grew up with martial art films. and I grew up with the comics and pop cultures. That's just the way I want to put my sen two cents on it. That's where my heart is. And, yeah, and back to your, your question about this combination of intelligence and action. That's a perfect segue to the Hulk. Uh, you know, Variety ran this article last week written by people who hadn't seen the movie, uh, which is, are, are Hang and James over-intellectualizing you know, the Hulk? Is it really going to succeed? And they had this great cartoon of the Hulk sitting around reading Camus. Great. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was pretty funny. But as I said at Variety, and as I will say to you, uh, you know, there is no law that, you ha that says that you have to insult people's intelligence in order to entertain them. And uh, you know, we hope you agree when you see Hulk. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I think we'll end on that and see the Hulk when it opens on June 20th. Yeah, it's such a pleasure for me. Uh, I'm a Queens guy. I, I was, I'm a Mass fan. I, that's my lucky hat. So it's glad to be back here. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.